What's up, y'all? This is John Lawrence with Anesthesia Guidebook. Today, I'm joined by Jennifer and Robert Montague to talk about the experience of significant others in anesthesia school. Now, before we get into anything, I want to talk about how long this podcast is. It's an hour and a half, which is perfect. Trust me. Before you go and click on something else, let me sell you on this a little bit. I've been looking forward to doing a show on this topic for a long time, and I'm really excited to be able to bring you Jen and Rob's story in a bit of a long-form narrative style. I mean, to say an hour and a half is the long-form version of the story is a little ridiculous, I know, but for a podcast and for what I typically do on Anesthesia Guidebook, it certainly is a longer show, but it makes total sense. You're going to get lost in their story. You'll love hearing Rob and Jen's humor and love for one another and their kids, how resilient their children are, and how they've made the move work financially and emotionally as individuals and a couple. And if you're a couple out there wondering if you can do anesthesia school, if your relationship can handle it, or what to do about your kids or finances, hearing them unpack their story for you is going to be so helpful. So think of this episode as something like from Death, Sex, and Money, or the Joe Rogan podcast. It's narrative. It winds around a bit, and we take the time to get into the details, which is what makes their story and the advice they share for other couples come alive. But if you're super impatient and can't stand the idea of listening to an hour and a half podcast, I get it. And that's why I'm going to take just a couple minutes right now to give you a super distilled version of some tips and advice. But you should really listen to the whole podcast. The bottom line is that like anything, your preparation and mindset will be key to helping you navigate the challenges you'll face as a couple in anesthesia school. Couples and families of all shapes and sizes have made it through anesthesia school together, intact and stronger for it over the years. The stories that shaped the episode on From the Head of the Bed, titled Hardship in Anesthesia School, were super intense. People have lost partners in school, kids in school, parents and grandparents and siblings and classmates in school, sometimes to disease, illness, or trauma, other times to suicide. Some people have faced cancer and surgery and extreme financial strain. Others have had babies, lots of babies, right before, during, and after anesthesia school. And in all of these examples, people have made it. They found a different set of gears, dug deep, leaned on friends and family and each other, and they've made it. But on the other hand, anesthesia school can tear you apart. It has spelled the end of many marriages and partnerships. Anesthesia school will undoubtedly ratchet up the stress and strain on the person attending school and in unique ways on the significant other and family who aren't in anesthesia school. In this podcast, you'll hear how Jen had to put her professional career on hold, take up additional childcare responsibilities, and navigate the loss of close networks of support she received from friends back home. You'll hear about how Rob tries to balance the need to study and the stress of clinicals with making sure he's actually present emotionally for his wife and kids. My hope is that this podcast helps you start conversations with your significant other about anesthesia school and that it helps you plan and think about things that you may not have considered yet. In the end, consider approaching anesthesia school as a shared goal with both individuals being willing to learn and grow during the process. Communicate often. Talk about what you need and about how you're feeling along the way. Talk about the good old days before anesthesia school. You know, think back to when you actually had, you know, 
a life and time to see each other and dream a little bit about what's to come. Talk about the things that you're actually looking forward to. It's amazing what hope will do to help pull you through super challenging situations. And understand that the overwhelming nature of anesthesia school is temporary. There will be an end and it will get so much better after anesthesia school. You'll have more time, way more discretionary time. And of course, your income will improve substantially. But most importantly, you will have completed a journey that was hard, which has value in and of itself, and you will have done it together, moving towards the life that you both imagined and want. Remember to take care of each other, give one another the benefit of the doubt, and understand that both people will experience strain, a sense of loss for the way things were prior to anesthesia school, and doubts and concerns about all kinds of things along the way. Becoming an anesthesia provider is a journey that's certainly worth taking if it's what you want to do, and you're ready for the challenges inherent to the journey. It's incredibly hard. But the payoff over the next 20 to 30 years of your career are immense. One last thing before I bring you Rob Jen. Consider talking to a professional marriage counselor or therapist ahead of anesthesia school or even during the program or after it for that matter. Marriage counseling has an undue stigma associated with it. While you may have to do a little searching before you find a therapist you click with, the benefits of having a professional hear your story and offer coaching for your path are incredible. Think of them as a coach for your life and your relationship. Reaching out to a counselor doesn't mean you're worried your marriage or relationship is failing or will crumble in anesthesia school. It means you want to optimize your path forward and that you're humble enough to admit that you don't have all the answers. If you want to operate with all the horsepower you have available to you in your life and relationships, working with a professional counselor will help you optimize your relationships and find the best way forward. All right, so here's a little bit more about Rob and Jen. Rob is currently finishing his final year in the CRNA program at the University of New England. He worked previously as an acute care nurse for four years in Kalispell, Montana and Washington, D.C. Prior to his career in nursing, Rob worked as an EMT and ski patroller at Big Sky, Montana, where he gained experience doing avalanche mitigation with explosives, which seems like a pretty cool job. He has extensive experience as a professional AMGA certified mountain guide. He's led over 70 climbs of Mount Rainier, as well as guided ascents on Grand Teton, five expeditions up the west buttress of Denali, and three expeditions to Argentina to climb Aconcagua. Rob is originally from New England, but having lived in Georgia, LA, Colorado, Seattle, and Montana, he enjoys outdoor adventure of all kinds. He is currently stoked to teach his 10-year-old daughter, Luca, and 6-year-old son, Bergen, how to climb, ski, sail, and surf. At six feet, six inches tall, Rob frequently has to have the OR table way up while he intubates his patients, but he can easily reach the SIVO vaporizer or the OR lights for all the short surgeons who can't. Jen Montague currently teaches nutrition remotely for Flathead Valley Community College in Kalispell, Montana, and works with Applied Curiosity Research in New York City on child nutrition programs. She earned her undergraduate degree in health and human performance at the University of Montana and her graduate degree in exercise and nutrition science at Montana State University, after which she completed her internship in nutrition and passed boards as a registered dietitian. She has worked as a coach at a weight loss retreat in France and as the director of food service for a public school system in Montana, where she managed a $1.7 million budget and built seven school gardens and even an orchard 
to support her mission of creating a farm-to-school food program. She went on to work as a registered dietitian for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. Her focus is on building policy and programs that effectively support healthy communities, farmers, and the environment. Growing up in Northwest Montana, Jen values a life with plenty of time outside and especially enjoys sharing an active lifestyle with her family. I think you're really going to enjoy hearing Jen and Rob's story, and I'm stoked that they're willing to share their story with us on the podcast. So settle into the conversation, break it up over a couple of commutes, or an evening on the couch with your significant other, and enjoy the story. Oh yeah, one more thing. So we recorded this at the end of December in 2020. And as you know, we are deep in the second wave of COVID-19. So while we are living in the same town in Portland, Maine, and we had hoped to be able to get together in person to record this show for the quality of the audio, we decided to play it safe and do this over uh, a phone call. So you're going to definitely hear Jen and Rob as if they're on a phone because they were. Uh, So they're a little muffled, but you're still going to get lost in the story. It's going to be awesome. So turn up the volume, stick with us, and enjoy the podcast. Jen, thank you so much, and Rob, for joining me on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. I'm stoked to have this conversation with you. And we're stoked to be here and, uh, yeah, share our perspective. That's awesome. Thanks for having us on the podcast, John. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Jen, since this is uh, primarily geared towards the perspective of the significant other in anesthesia school, will you tell me a little bit about your family, who's in it, how old are the kids, and where are you all from? So, Rob and I have been married for 11 years. We have a 10-year-old daughter who's in fifth grade and a six-year-old son, uh, Luca and Bergen, and we moved to Portland for anesthesia school uh, from Northwest Montana. Luca is, um, she's a fifth grader this year. They're both in the same elementary school here. We actually lived in Bozeman when Luca was born. Bob was working ski patrol. I was finishing up graduate school there. Um, and I studied nutrition and uh, Sorry, I'm, I'm sorry, John. It's a little funny. I, I like have notes, and I'm like, how much of my notes should I be sharing with you? You just um, go for it. Whatever your story is, you just tell your story. Okay, we'll loosen up a little. Um, so we had Luca when we lived in Bozeman. Rob works ski patrol, and uh, he was also away guiding sort of on and off, which um, we put an end to. You know, we sort of like started looking for a different career for him. Um, in Luca's first year of life because he was gone a lot and a a uniquely dangerous job. So um, he, you know, and just seasonal work just doesn't really make sense for a family. Um, But he's an adventurous person, so he was still looking for work that um, would allow time, you know, in the mountains and that sort of thing. So he went back to nursing school. We moved home to, uh, well, to my hometown in the Flathead Valley, in the area of Kalispell, Montana, we lived in a little town called Summers on Flathead Lake. And Robert did the nursing program there, and I took a job working in my field in nutrition. That's awesome. Uh, so, so really, the change for Rob to go to nursing and then anesthesia school was about this transition on starting your family. Is that correct? 
absolutely. Robert would definitely still be a climbing guide if we hadn't had children. Rob, how how was that transition for you? How how was that decision for you? Um, I I I knew it was coming because I I wanted to have a family, and so um, you know, I, and I knew that being a guide, uh, being you know, when you're guiding, you if you're working, then you're gone. You're away from home. You're either on the mountain or you're traveling somewhere. So I, I didn't want to be that kind of a parent. I wanted to be home with my kids. And um, so I knew that something was going to change. And uh, when we moved to the flathead, that sort of seemed like the the transition point um, to go back to school and make a change in the career path. And how, yeah, how long? Go ahead. Uh, we tried a couple different things. Robert worked. We managed the Grand Teton Climbers Ranch for the American Alpine Club. Uh, which was, you know, a less seasonal job and still kept us in the mountains. But really, we decided we just needed something with, you know, a steady income and a steady location, and nursing provided that. Yeah. In in Montana, too, it's, it can be hard to – I mean, I, I don't know if we're digressing now, but we're in, in Montana, it can be hard to, like, find a good job, you know, that is at home and you know, has benefits and pays decent and – you know, and so let you live in, in a place like Montana and, and nursing is definitely one of those jobs, um, that, you know, you can get a job just about anywhere, you know, pays reasonably well. And, um, you know, yeah, it, it, it definitely works in that area. And, and in Bozeman, we had a, we had a pretty sweet setup and, and the, the climbers ranch in the Tetons and that was something that Jenny actually found, um, it was like a management of like kind of like a hostel in the park for climbers right at the base of the Tetons. And we were able to go there as a couple and work and live in the park. And then when we had Luca, um, she came with us the first summer of her life. And so that was, that was a pretty neat thing. But when we moved to Kalispell, the distance was just too far to, to be able to make that work. Um, and we didn't have summers off because Jenny was out of grad school. And so, so things were just changing you know, all around. It, it just was no longer a sustainable <laughs> life path. Yeah. Did you know, Rob, when you went to nursing school that anesthesia was the ultimate plan? Um, you know, it, it was, I think, you know, it's funny. I, oh, actually, yeah, I was in, I was, I don't know if I was doing my prereqs for nursing school or if I was actually in the RN program, but I was working part-time at a gear shop in Kalispell uh, like an out, like a ski shop, you know, with climbing gear and skis and all that stuff. Uh, and I'll put a plug out there: Rocky Mountain Outfitter on Main Street in Kalispell. Got to go there if you visit. There you go. Um, and uh, <laughs> and uh, a guy came in. He was working. Uh, he was a travel CRNA working in the Browning Indian Reservation, right on the other side of the Continental Divide from Kalispell. And he came into the shop with his friend, and they were, you know find some gear and stuff. And I told him that, you know, I was going to nursing school and he was like, Oh dude, you know, you got to consider CRNA. And that was kind of like my first sort of like, Oh, this is like a potential path. Um, and so I, I looked into it and kind of like had like this idea in the back of my mind. Oh, okay. Well, you know, if I put these pieces together, um, then, you know, maybe we'll get there someday. And it, took some time for those pieces to fall into place. Uh, they didn't, they didn't come easy really, but yeah, the year before I applied, that's when Jenny and I kind of, I brought it up to Jenny, like, okay, this is like a real possibility. You know, if I, 
applying now. It would be, this is the timeline. We started putting dates on paper and, you know, started doing calculations on, you know, what's it going to cost? And is this really like a life choice we want to make as a family? And, you know, da 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 I remember when Rob was, you know, doing his prereqs for nursing and, you know, in nursing school, I remember him doing really well. Like professors always really liked him. We lived in sort of a small community and I also worked for the community college where he was doing his program. So I know he had a really good reputation. And, you know, before that, I, I mean, I knew Rob was smart, but I wasn't, I really didn't know like how, if he was really smart or not. And, you know, he was doing really well. In his Turns life. out he is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he was he was acing his classes and that sort of thing. So, um, so I was like, okay, Rob is capable of sort of doing what what he wants to with this. Yeah, See, what you're saying is you weren't sure if this was like a real a realistic dream or not. But having done well in nursing school, you're like, okay, maybe he could make this. Well, I mean, chemistry is hard, and I yeah. think you know if if you're just if you're ace in chemistry, it, it's a it's a sign that you can handle, you know, anesthesia, right? Like, I, I had those thoughts yeah. when you were in nursing school. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's awesome. And so, Jen, when when did you finish graduate school? Where in this timeline? And do you work as a registered dietitian? What kind of work do you do in uh, nutrition? Yeah, I am a registered dietitian. I I have actually worked. I right now I'm. I'm working and teaching nutrition for a community college in Montana where we moved from and taught remotely for years. So that's worked out with the move. But I was also doing contract work because I worked for the USDA for a while in child nutrition in Washington. And before that, I worked in school nutrition. I was a food service manager for five years and started um, a big farm school program in the community that we lived in. Yeah. Yeah. So you have been able to, uh, not only like moving for anesthesia school, you've moved from Montana to Maine, but also then when COVID hit, you were kind of already set up in a remote work environment. Well, I was my, my teaching, so I'm an adjunct for a community college. So that work is, is pretty limited in terms of like workload and pay. Okay. I just teach one classes a semester. So um, the other work I was doing, I was contracting with school districts and um, that who were doing USDA grants, and all of that work has dried up because all of those grants are basically on hold through COVID. So I'm yeah. I am quite underemployed at the moment, and would love to get back into the workforce, but it just hasn't made sense with the kids at home, and you know, being new to an area, it's hard to find it. You know, apply for a job right now when you're, you know pandemic situation so and Robert working all the time I mean to be honest even if um COVID was here right now I'm not sure what my capacity would be yeah so talk to me a little bit more we got into it a little bit but how did you and Rob prepare for anesthesia school and then what led you to move so far away from home and land in Maine for his graduate school well, uh, Rob and I are definitely uh, both, I'd say, like the adventurous type, and Maine sounded exciting. Uh, they had a program that made a lot of sense to us, and I, I was just excited about the idea. I, well, I love Montana. Um, Robert is from the Northeast and has grew up sailing, and um, so I was just excited to live in a new place and Portland has a cool urban vibe. It just seemed like 
a good situation all around. Oh, John, I'll, I'll just I'll chime in here. So first off, having Jenny's buy-in was huge. Like if if Jenny hadn't been like, yeah, I'll move to Portland, Maine, or you should apply to this program, it was going to be a lot harder for me to sell. Yeah, let's pick everyone up and move across the country and start a whole new life. And I'll be super busy doing whatever it is I'm doing, focused and dedicated to this program. And you guys, I don't know what you're going to do, but I'm sure it'll work out. That's that's a tough sell. So, it, you know, all of this, Jenny picking the program and having some buy-in was big in in my mind deciding. And then the, like, the logistics are like, okay, how do we get our stuff out there? How do we find a place to land? What's a neighborhood in this, you know, the city that we've never been to before? Uh, what's a neighborhood, you know, that's going to feel comfortable to us? What's an apartment where, like, and the kids can be while I'm gone all the time. You know, we knew that there'd be clinical rotations and that I would be very preoccupied. So a lot of that happened because we had experience moving around in the past. Um, you know, we felt comfortable getting online, looking at places, calling people about apartments, looking at Google Earth and trying to figure out like where the school districts are, you know, looking at the schools and kind of researching the ratings. Like, are they good schools? Do we want to send our kids there? Um, and, and we definitely hedged our bets. You know, we weren't full on all of us into moving immediately. Robert moved out uh, when school started three months before us. Um, we decided not to sell our house in Montana. And I stayed behind and sort of set that up for our rental. We stored probably three quarters of our possessions in the garage of our house that we're renting in Montana. So we sort of like moved, but we didn't fully move. You know, it wasn't like we didn't sell our house and buy a new house in Portland. Um, we sort of wanted, you know, we knew that that was a possibility that we could land permanently elsewhere. And we're sort of still in that, in that place where we're not totally certain where we'll settle when Robert's done, um, you know, largely dependent on where he gets a job. But yeah, um, I've not, I've not completely convinced Robert to stay at Maine Med yet. So I still have some work cut out to do. Well, we, we, he's been, but we love it here. So, you know, it's just hard. Um, as you get older, you sort of like love multiple places and, yeah, you know, people, that. geography, and it's hard to, um, you know, make a decision sometimes. But I think what it's going to come down to is that our fifth grader, um, you know, I, when she was easier to move, when we moved, she was in third grade and she had good friendships, but it was, was not as, um, the depth of those friendships wasn't what it is now that she's sort of yep. almost a middle schooler. I think she would never forgive us. Uh, oh man. If we moved right now. Yeah. Yeah. That that's tough. Bad. That's, I mean, they're, they're little people. They have minds of their own, you know, and desires of their own, which have to be considered in the family. Right. Yeah. And then her friends too. Uh, sometimes some of Lucas friends um, come to me with, you know, notes or opinions about, where we should buy a house. Or... Nice. Nice. Yeah, it's really sweet. So, yeah. so tell me, Jen, tell me a little bit more about how it's been. What it, What has it been like with Robert being in school? What have the challenges been like? Uh, I mean, this year has been incredible. It's uh, not only have you moved across the nation with two young children and, you know, seen him go through clinical sites that have taken him all over the East Coast, but the pandemic has hit as well. So what has everything been like the last uh, couple of years for you? Yeah, no, I mean, it's been stressful to be honest. Um, you know, I've been 
on the edge of sanity for, you know, weeks at a time, especially when Robert has been away. I don't, in, it's been a little bit different everywhere, but we've had mostly remote school. The kids have been in school this year, but just two half days a week. So, you know, like seven hours of school a week uh, total. So the rest of the time, you know, doing remote school. And um, so we're just, it's just the three of us, the kids and myself, most of the time, Rob's either at clinical or he's uh, been in another location at clinical. And because of COVID, he hasn't really been able to travel home. And even so, I don't know how much traveling we've done because, of course, money is short when um, your significant other is in anesthesia school. You're paying out rather than than making money. So, um, and then just the time, too. I mean, Robert is pretty exhausted at the end of his weeks, and he's been writing papers and studying for exams and really needs those weekend hours to do that, whether he's in that location or in the house with us. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's been, you know, a lot of parenting. You know, I would say when Robert's here, he does pitch into his, you know, he he's amazing with the kids. Um, but he, there are just only so many hours in the day, really. Yeah. Yeah. Is this something, is that element of the challenge, like Robert's absence and then the weight of childcare running the household, that kind of stuff falling mostly on your shoulders. Is that something that you had a good handle on coming in or has that been surprising to you or what, what would you say about that? And, and again, kind of thinking with that mindset of the other uh, mothers and potentially fathers out there who may find themselves in similar shoes as you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the biggest part of it, and like, I remember this on a daily basis is that, you know, our goals are shared, you know, anesthesia school and a career for him as a CRNA is something that we both want. So, um, you know, he's making a lot of sacrifices and he's exhausted and stressed out about different things. Um, and, uh, so it's, it isn't just, it's, it's not as if it, it, the power balance is is a problem. It's really just that we're both tired. Um, yeah. Because, yeah, I would say that I have been doing, you know, more childcare and more cooking and more cleaning than, um, than I used to be. That was definitely sort of something that we shared very equally in our house before anesthesia school. And, you know, I'd like to imagine his job in anesthesia will be, you know, there will be more time than when he's in school. I hope so. I know it'll, it's still going to be a stressful job, but I'm looking forward to uh, a more balanced lifestyle. Oh, it's going to get, it's going to get way better. It gets so much better. It's, it's so hard to understand how hard it is when you're in anesthesia school, like it, cause it's just hard and you just have to deal with how hard it is. And it just keeps getting harder. And then it's like, like it can't get any harder. And then it gets a little bit harder. And that's just, it's super frustrating to deal with that, but it gets so much better. And I don't even have kids and I, and I understand how much better it gets. (laughs) And so I can only imagine when you're under the time pressure of like, and responsibility pressure of we have this family to raise. I mean, it like life after anesthesia school, it gets way better. Yeah, that's good to hear. (laughs) (laughs) 
I, I, I hear your hesitant, I hear your, your guarded hope, uh, optimism in that. So <laughs> Rob, Rob, you were going to say something. Yeah. I, I was just going to say, I, I think, uh, it, like it, it's hard to pull apart just exactly like what the changes are. Are they just changes that happen because, you know, as parents, as your kids get older, like you become the parents of older children and then you sort of change, I don't know, they, life has a way of kind of like yeah, making you adapt to it or if it's the pressures of the program and then on top of that, the pandemic, but the changes that I I've seen in Jenny are, I mean, her, her ability to rise to the occasion and manage all of this stuff that, that quite frankly, I didn't necessarily expect maybe Jenny, maybe you like had a better idea of like what life is going to be like in anesthesia school for you. Um, but I'm like, I'm helpless to like be able to help her like carry that load. Um, and she's really had to put a lot of her, you know, self care and hopes and dreams of like a career on hold, uh, through this program. And especially now with the pandemic going and the kids being at home more, um, and they're not being like a real outlet for those kinds of frustrations. You know, you just sort of have to like suck it up and, you know, carry on because what else are we going to do? Um, I guess what I'm trying to say is that, like, it, there's, there's a lot that gets put on you know, the, my partner, like Jenny, like I didn't realize like how much she would have to pick up. Yeah. Um, because the, those roles that we had at home before this, they can't, I, I hadn't considered that just how different that would be. Right. And I think, you know, something to acknowledge, you know, it is hard for us to sort of tease apart, you know, what's the pandemic and what's the anesthesia school. Um, and I, and I'm sure that the stress has just, you know, been compounded, um, by, you know, COVID and, and really Rob's absence. He took, um, he went to Johns Hopkins, which was a great opportunity, but it meant that he was away for three months straight. Right. Um, right. Which, you know, that was, that was definitely a hard stretch. And so one of the things, you know, we did move away from our support structure, you know, all of my, you know, close friends uh, in Montana. And of course I've had contact with them virtually and over the phone. Um, and, but definitely I, I made a few good friends here in Portland before, you know, things sort of closed down. And so I really cannot say how important those few friendships have been in terms of, you know, my support system and just my, you know, need for socialization. Um, and, you know, one of them was a close neighbor and one was the parents of some of our kids' friends. Um, and yeah, I would say, you know, in terms of just like advice for someone who's moving away, um, with a partner, is yet to try and build that support system because your husband or, you know, your, your spouse or partner will, will be very busy. Like they, they will be short on, um, you know, time and, you know, emotional support, all the sorts of things that they may have been providing for you. They'll have sort of less to give. And so, um, having some good friendships and just, you know, like, 
spending time, you know, watching a movie with someone else. Um, like we potted with our downstairs neighbors because uh, they had a child and we ended up having our third floor as a shared workspace. And I can't even say how important that um, friendship was. You know, I shared cooking duties with them. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so we would sort of cook for each other a couple days a week. And, um, you, you know, that was nice during the pandemic sort of cooking at home all the time. But also I can just say that, like, if your spouse is um, doing rotation somewhere else, um, having that sort of, like, extended family structure just is really nice in their absence. Yeah. Yeah, I can only imagine. Um, It seems like it's really difficult to understand, you know, what is moving across the country, what is anesthesia school, and what is the pandemic in terms of, like you said, the compounding variables that are stressful in this whole situation. It sounds like a, like a horrendous, I mean, the old joke is like, you know, anesthesia school is easy. It's just like riding a bike, except the bike is on fire and the road is on fire and everything is on fire because you're in hell. (laughs) And it's like, I feel like it's, it's like that. And there's a worldwide pandemic going on. So like literally it's horrible. (laughs) I can't, I can't imagine how it's been. Right. Yeah. And then like the lack of work, you know, I didn't realize how much of my sort of like personal um, satisfaction and, um, you know, self-worth came from my career. And that's right, right. largely on hold. So I've had to sort of like refocus myself. And it's actually been really good for me to think about, you know, my health a little bit more and my relationship with my kids and my parenting style. I've had to sort of I've had time to actually take a look at those things and um, try and find, you know, more self-worth and self-confidence in those things, which, you know, it's hard because they don't necessarily provide the same structured positive feedback you get in the work environment. Yeah. 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 Jen, I wanted to ask you all about that. I wanted to, so, so tell me more about that in terms of putting your own dreams and aspirations on hold while Rob attends graduate school. And I know the variables are unique, which, which is really not the point, but the theme is that you have had to put your own career on hold, focus on your family during this time. Your husband is busy pursuing his own dreams and aspirations. So, so talk a little bit more about that from a professional standpoint for yourself and, and have you considered how to give energy to those things down the road? Right. Yeah, no, um, sometimes I feel really sad about it and it's actually really scary to sort of feel like you're becoming irrelevant or disconnected, um, from your career, but it's really also, you know, it's hard to sort of hold on and keep those contacts when you're also have the extra responsibilities that you take on when your spouse is, a lot busier. So yeah, I would say I have a lot of anxiety about it. You know, I can talk myself through it and sometimes I'm like, Oh, I should be doing some, you know, some education and, um, you know, it, it feels hard. To, like I know some of the things I should be doing, but again, there just don't seem to be enough hours in the day. And it's right. really hard to sort of switch gears also when you're not, when you don't have a structured work environment. So, um, yeah, I've sort of tried to rethink, like, oh, if I go back, you know, maybe I would be interested in, it's, it's a good opportunity to sort of think how you might branch out in your career, but also, yeah, pretty scary to have the gap in your resume. Um, 
I, you know, I cannot, I cannot lie when I say that, you know, that first job back, it probably like, I do fear that I will be like taking a step back in terms of like pay and responsibility, um, just to get back in the game, uh, which is, you know, uh, I'm willing to do that because I am, I do really want to get back to work and, uh, you know, the social interaction and the stimulation, I, I miss that immensely. Do you plan to go back to work right after Robert finishes? I mean, you know, again, the pandemic plays into this a little bit. I, I think I would have applied, you know, been applying for jobs in my field over the last couple months if I hadn't had the kids at home homeschooling. Yeah. You know, him being totally away, like when he's away for months at a time, uh, obviously would have made it hard. But there are, you know, mothers out there, single moms who are, are working full time. So, you know, there are the resources in in normal, you know, in normal life where, you know, the child care and that sort of thing. Um, but it, it's been nice, you know, living in a new place to really be there for the kids more. So, um, you know, I try to rationalize these anxieties I have about my career and, you know, realize that it's a balance and I've provided, you know, something for my family. And, you know, like I said, for myself, I've grown in other ways. I've, you know, I've been like working out a little more and, um, you know, learning to cook better and all of these things that you do in your, your home more and try to be a good role model for children so, um, and you know, I, I can be a bit of a workaholic, so I'm just been a little more chill and that's been good. It, it is. Hey, so John. F- yeah. Jump in there, Rob, go for it. Yeah. I was going to say that, um, like bef- before the pandemic, you know, Jenny, we, we were here in Portland, Maine and every time like Jenny was sort of like looking like, okay. And so like, I have some extra time. Kids are in school. Things are kind of settled down. And I just, I just want to throw out there that every time that we, that Jenny be like, Oh, what do you think about this, this opportunity or this possibility for me? We would always ask her, or at least I would apply it to the filter of well, what happens when clinical starts, what happens when, you know, I rotate out and it's because nothing is my schedule in anesthesia school is not, it's not something I can bank on, you know, in the sense like it's always going to be this, it's going to be Monday through Thursday or, you know, whatever, you know, and there's going to be a period of time where we know that I'm going to be gone and not around to help at all. And it's just so hard to commit to like, okay, why don't you take this job? And then we're going to have to figure out how to shuffle kids around right. and like the, the stress and the logistics of, of like having someone else take care of your kids like who that person is, where they're going, how they get there, who's going to pick them up. Like, I can't tell you, like, like those are like your most important, you know, people in your life. And it's just not a decision that anyone, any parent takes lightly. And so it, so it takes a lot of energy and effort to like work through that even just once. And then if you change your schedule up, now you're going to do it again. Um, and, you know, people do it, but it, yeah, when, when in anesthesia school, you're going to do it numerous times if that's the route you have to go. So, so part of our like our situation is that Denny, you know, teaches remotely, but she also manages our house, our rental house back in Montana, which like effectively is two rentals in one. 
one of them is a long-term, one of them is a short-term rental through Airbnb. And that's not, I mean, that does take time and effort. I mean, that's a real job. Right. But it also affords us the position where we have a little more leeway on like whether or not Jenny has to go back to work now. And some some couples and families may not have that option. Yeah, again, you just have to to think that one through and, and figure out how you're going to make those yeah, those decisions and those logistics. Yeah, I want to drill down on a little bit more about your finances with graduate school. So, did you? So, you have this rental unit, and Jenny has taken a step back from working professionally. Can you talk a little bit about the financial strain and how you've approached that together as a as a family to basically have this interruption of like three years or so of steady income? Again, in light of primarily your own experience, but that of others too, who have young children and who are thinking about making this move, what advice would you give or how has that experience been for you? Well, yeah, I mean, I would say definitely for us, um, you know, having bought a house, you know, we leveraging that as income. So either, you know, we have another close friend actually who, as they're a couple with children as well, they went down to school at the same time. Um, and they actually sold their house and they're just kind of living on the profits of it. Okay. Um, and so we're sort of doing it the other way where we're keeping our house and renting it. You know, it's been, we have some combination of vacation rental and long-term rentals and yeah, it's generated enough income for us that we are, you know, squeaking by absolutely. Um, it's definitely like, you know, college days again, Right. Uh, with kids, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. At one point, we had we had uh, with all these friends that that Jenny sort of alluded to earlier, the support network that that we've created here in Maine. Um, we invite before the pandemic, we invited the parents over for dinner, um, and then coincidentally, you know, or, or afterwards, we went to dinner at their house, and like. You know, we, we live in a rental that we, we haven't hung any pictures on the wall. We're like, we're totally in transition. It feels like a college house, you yeah. know, yet we're like an established family with like school age kids. Right. And I mean, it, it, it's so cute, Rob. Like, yeah. you know, but we have like a quarter of our possessions here and like we don't, with Christmas right now, right? So we're, we didn't bring any of our like Christmas tree ornaments. Totally. The kids are like making Christmas tree ornaments. And, oh, that's adorable. Uh, that's know, awesome. Yeah, it's been really like a fun, you know, everything you just kind of have to look at it as like an opportunity to reinvent, you know. And, and Jenny and I, I come from, from sort of the, the quote unquote dirtbag culture where, you know, we, we take some pride in, uh, you know, just trying to make it work with as little as possible. Um, so that, you know, we're on the same page as a couple in that sense uh, when it comes to finances. I mean, other things that, that we like one two a couple of things that played into the decision to keep the house in Montana. Um, one was the the ability to generate some income from renting it. Another was the emotional connection to Montana. We just didn't want to cut that cord. And then the four or the third rather was that we in, in doing so we were able to get a home equity loan that we we haven't tapped into, but 
it's a it's an emergency security fund if you know something went wrong or we needed cash you know with that's essentially our savings account that we can dip into and so that that was definitely a like safety blanket you know in keeping the house so so those are like i mean those are all going to be personal decisions for people you know whether or not it makes sense to sell and and just move and have be cash rich or um or keep things and and try and leverage yourself um but yeah and, and then the other thing that jenny and i did is we we tried to calculate what we thought it would cost you know, like with, with the knowns and then put a cap on how much we were comfortable borrowing, um, in student loans. Right. And so, you know, and, and I think a lot of that is like, it's important because, you know, in order for Jenny and I to be like, to, to be able to work together and not be like talking about those points all the time or worrying about them, we need to have already had that conversation. Like, okay, I know that, you know, we're not going to go, you know, any further than this in debt, or this is how we're going to make these things work. Um, so, like, so we had those conversations before we accepted, you know, enrollment in the program, and before we left Montana. Um, those those conversations were made, and some, you know, some some things were put in place ahead of time. And have you been able to stick to those goals or those limits? Yes. Yeah, we have. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah, a quick, yeah, money is a stressful thing right now. Like, we aren't putting any money into our retirement right now. Um, you know, since we're definitely not getting ahead, we're just trying not to go into too much debt. Right. Really. And, and I mean, you know, the other thing we haven't really talked about is, um, you know, Rob was furloughed from school because of COVID for two months. Uh, and he took a job working in a COVID unit in New York city, uh, during that time, which, you know, was, he was glad you know, to have something to do during that time. And it also gave us a nice little chunk of money that has, you know, really kind of taken the stress off this year. Yeah, that's great. I wanted to ask you about that experience. So Rob shot down to like, were you in a borough of New York city? Where, where did you go exactly? No, I, I was at a, a community hospital out on Long Island. Okay. Um, I was close enough to Brooklyn that I had an apartment there with another nurse who, another traveling nurse um, that I had made friends with before going down. And um, so we were able to commute from there. I was in the city each night, but uh, the hospital I was working in was a little bit outside of the city. Um, But that, yeah, that's when school shut down and the pandemic hit. um, One of the things that happened for us was, um, all the reservations that we had for the summer months uh, on Airbnb just dried up. Oh, wow. And yeah. suddenly, like, we, uh, we lost, like, a pretty major stream of predicted income for the summer. And, it, it, you know, we weren't very, you know, we're only halfway or not even halfway through the program at that point. And it definitely, that was very stressful at that point. Um, and not knowing how and when we'd be going back to clinical and basically knowing that no progress was being made towards graduation uh, while I was sitting at home. So it was, it was a difficult decision to go down for a number of reasons, you know, for my personal safety, for the fact that I'd be leaving Jenny and the kids. Uh, and then also because the program didn't necessarily condone me leaving. Um, it would mean that I was 
if Pinnacle did start up while I was down there, I would not be in a good position to jump back in. But as the days and then weeks rolled by and there was no sign of, you know, us going back, it, I just couldn't sit any longer and not do anything. Um, and so, yeah, so that, you know, that was sort of an unexpected um, moment, a, a hiccup of some sorts that uh, in the end, we, you know, we had to make a decision to, for me basically to go back to work and, and New York was not, um, yeah, it, it was, it was unnerving to leave Maine and head down into, um, into the city, uh, at that time. Um, but, yeah, uh, I mean, this was, this was like, uh, you were making this decision. I mean, as soon as the pandemic basically went national in the United States enough, you know, for main schools to close down and that kind of stuff. But New York at that time was a hotbed. I mean, this was like March, April, you're making the decision. You were down there probably what, April, May into May of 2020. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, I mean, you were, you know, my context on that, right. I, I work as the clinical coordinator at your primary clinical site. So you were two, you started clinical in January. So this of 2020, so this is not more than eight weeks, 10 weeks into your clinical experience in anesthesia school and the pandemic hit. And then you're faced with everything we've talked about, this financial decision, this challenge of like, you're not making progress towards graduation. I remember having those conversations with you about how, how can I sit here away from support networks that are in Montana, you know, basically like twiddling my thumbs at home, not producing income with no end in sight. Uh, it was a very stressful time. And you made this decision to go uh, do what you had to do uh, to get by. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was definitely unsettling. You know, it suddenly without without the sort of the central, you know, focus of anesthesia school, everything seemed to kind of just fall apart. Um, you know, like what are we doing here? Why are we still out here? It's like suddenly I'm not doing what we came here to do. Um, yeah, it, it was very unsettling for Jen, me. I mean, yeah, and Jen, how how was that like chapter of the story for you, for you and the kids? I mean, you know, like a week into, um, what is it called? Like a week into quarantine, I, I needed Rob to do something because I don't know, you know, about you, but Rob's not like a very good idol person. Um, (laughs) he was, you know, sort of like pulling his hair out and I, I was, I was like, go skiing or go just like leave the house, Robert, like so unhappy. Um, and you know, he's, I, I think a lot of people who are pursuing anesthesia are pretty comfortable with risk and stress. And so I knew, like, I knew it was something he could handle. Um, and yeah, I think he thrives a little bit on having a certain level of stress in his life. So I, I needed him to, you know, fulfill that in some way and, you know, and I also, it was a time, you know, early on, it was, you know, it felt like there were some really scary things happening and it would be nice to be part of the solution and, you know, being in a helping career, um, you definitely, you want to, you want to help when, when people need you. So, um, it just made a lot of sense on a lot of different levels. 
Well, you, you all, you all are both. I mean, I haven't said this yet in this podcast, but uh, this is a great time to just go ahead and come out and say it. Y'all are an amazing couple, and uh, so much of that is evident in in this one focal point of the story on on moving down to New York. So, uh, under immense strain um, that you faced financially and and with your family and putting yourself at risk, Rob. I mean, thanks for thanks for heading down there, and, and Jen, thanks for supporting him. Uh, I think behind every you know, the world, the the phrase healthcare hero has been thrown out a lot this year, but uh, behind every person who's going into, quote, the front lines, which is, uh, you know, kind of a, a weird term, um, there's a f- usually a family or a significant other or a set of kids uh, behind those individuals. So, so that's incredible. Thank you for sharing that story. Yeah, thank you. I want to know a little bit more about how this process has been for your children. So you have you have a ten year old right now and a six year old. Is that correct? Yeah, we have a ten year old in fifth grade and a six year old who's in first grade. Yeah. So how how has anesthesia school yeah. moving to Maine and the pandemic been for them? And how how has that been for you, Jen? Uh, looking at your children in this phase where where their dad is gone and absent in a way that they probably have never seen before been able to comprehend up to this point in their young lives. Right. Well, I mean, kids are sort of, they naturally live in the moment. Um, and they're, I think they're naturally pretty good natured. So, I mean, they're great companions for, you know, even for the most part, especially, you know, elementary age kids, uh, maybe, you know, a different story with a teenager or a middle schooler, but, um, you know, when they, when we moved, Bergen was four and Luca was eight. So, um, I mean, they were on board. The kids and I actually drove cross country together without Rob because he'd already started school. And that was, it was super fun. We visited long lost relatives. We, um, we took a ferry across Lake Michigan. Uh, we saw Niagara Falls and oh, cool. camped along the way. I mean, it was like a grand adventure. Yeah. And yeah. They were such good sports. Um, I mean, if you frame sort of a stressful situation as an adventure, kids are just totally on board, right? Ah, that's a good tip. So, um, yeah, I think we've, we've done a good job of, of framing stress as adventure. And that's sort of the way that Rob and I, you know, that's the perspective we try to take in our own lives, too. And I think it helps a lot. Kids are, are fun and hilarious. So they, they add a lot of joy to our life. You know, Robert will come home from anesthesia school and he'll maybe like be stressed out about the workload or a case or something. And, you know, one of the kids will tell, you know, a ridiculous story about whatever it is, you know, big surfing adventure they had or um, a bowel movement that day. I mean, you never know. Um, <laughs> and you, I mean, you just have, they take you out of whatever sort of uh, focused world you're in and, uh, you know, lighten, lighten the mood. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. That's awesome. No, they I, provide, I think, yeah, they think they like, they provide about as much stress as they take away, you know, they sort of, they work both ends of that. For all sure. right. <laughs> All the parents out there will probably know exactly what you're talking about, which I, at, at this point in my life, I have no clue. Uh, yeah. So have y'all, have y'all talked about what life will be like on the other side of anesthesia school? Um, 
I mean, yeah, like we were we were mentioning earlier, we, we hope that Rob will have more time and you like you said we can expect that. I mean, I have some notes here. Let me try and refresh my memory. Rob, you okay. can tell us. Um uh, to to backtrack a little bit to the kids, I from my perspective it, I it, it's hard to tell it's hard to tell if like I, I'm I'm trying to keep an eye out to see like oh like are my kids like are they suffering under like the strain of everything that's going on you know and, and like it, is their behavior altered are they like you know do they see are their moods different or subdued and I I can't say that I've noticed um, anything um, in the kids themselves I I think just like Jenny said like they, they they're incredibly resilient and they're um, you know, obviously these are personal experiences. So I can't say like what, what other kids, how they're handling it. And, um, and I don't know that we're as parents that we're like sheltering our kids from any of it. You know, I'm sure that there are stresses that our kids are dealing with that we're sort of unaware of. Um, but some of the things that, that I've tried to do is, um, and this was some advice that I got from another classmate uh, was to, just try and like set aside some time myself to spend with both of my kids so that I do get a chance to check in with them and, um, and connect with them, uh, even with a busy schedule and stuff. And I, and I, that's helped me, helps me feel more, um, at ease, you know, I'm like that things are okay. And I think it's, it's good for them as well. Um, so for the six year old, it, it's been, you know, trying to read him a story, uh, at bedtime each night to sort of like make that connection. It's just him and myself spending a little bit of time together. Um, yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask, is, is that something that you try to do like on a daily basis to connect with your kids or on a weekly basis or just when you, when you get the chance? It's, it's kind of when I get a chance, but it has to be a little bit more, um, intentional than that because otherwise my personality is that it's easy for me to like prioritize tasks over other things and um, bedtime story is not really a task it's more of like something that you want to do or it's fun or it's something that kind of happens but it's not really like oh I gotta take this garbage out or oh I gotta like do this yeah. book report or I need to spend you know an hour looking at these slides or you know that sort of thing. Um, so I have to intentionally be like, no, I am going to make this time happen. Um, yeah, no, I think Robert is tired and he thinks, you know, he's getting up really early. Um, the bedtime story thing, he has rallied like every, and it doesn't take that long, you know, after he actually initiates it, but, um, I think it's been really important. And I know that he really has to kind of go a little bit above and beyond, to make it happen. Yeah. And the other thing is that we've like prioritized having a family dinner. I would say on weeknights, he really only has like half an hour, an hour to devote to family time on weekdays. And then maybe like four hours on one weekend day. So we've had to be better about planning how we spend that time because we sort of waste it or it doesn't feel very intentional. We're all, pretty bummed right so like mm. i try and like have a nice we have a nice dinner when you get home um you know like like candles and give the kids an like, opportunity to sort of have that like 
conversation with us as a you know family and he's been gone a lot so it's become even more special um but yeah having like this little rituals that the kids can depend on have been really important mm-hmm. yeah wow that's such an incredible story. Um, it reminds me of Kate Balzano. I don't, I don't know if we've ever talked about this, Rob, but um, Kate is one of the CRNAs at Maine Medical Center, and her and I did a podcast a while back on kind of her approach to her financial situation, but she hesitated for a little bit prior to deciding to go to anesthesia school because she had two very young children. I think they were like two and three, two and four, somewhere around that when they decided to go for, for her to go to anesthesia school. And her story was so interesting because she said that she felt like anesthesia school was easier looking back because she had children, because, because it forced her to be so intentional about her time management, that if she was going to have that, you know, 30 minutes of protected time with her family, that she couldn't blow time you know, not studying or just kind of like surfing the internet or whatever. Like she had to have super focused time on school. And then that would free her up to have that little bit of golden time with her family. Uh, And that she felt like prior to having kids, it would be totally easy to blow, you know, a couple hours watching Netflix or just kind of, you know, doing whatever, you know, but then once she entered in, once she had children, like her time management improved so much. And then anesthesia school, she really had to find that kind of rhythm to hit all of those points And that sure it was stressful. Uh, but she felt like her kids in some ways helped her stay on point. Uh, what do you, what do you think about that? What do both of you think about that? Yeah, I think that you nailed it, right? <laughs> like, yeah, no, absolutely. That's it's completely true. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and so like, as far as like planning goes and we, I am <laughs> not, um, not always clear about exactly what my time constraints are with Jenny, meaning like I haven't communicated with Jenny about like, oh, like this is, you know, this is what you can expect from me this weekend or, you know, however, or whatever sort of day we're talking about. But, um, but obviously she's got a pretty good idea of like what, <laughs> what my needs are on any given weeknight if I've been in clinical and I have clinical the next day. Um, and, uh, and then when I was in the didactic portion, um, it was a little bit different, but similar, uh, as well. And it, it does come down to half an hour, an hour chunk of time, like, Oh, well, you know, we've got this afternoon or we've got, I, I can, I can spend, you know, these couple hours on this particular day, um, to, you know, do something fun or, you know, go for a, a ride or something like that. And then the rest of it, you know, it has to be dedicated to school. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we got some really good advice on that right before Robert started. And if you did school, we went on a 10 day backcountry trip on the green river with uh, another family. Um, uh, and it had been a guy Rob used to guide with Peter Shaney and he had just finished medical school and specialized in anesthesia yeah. and we have kids who are exactly the same age that's how i initially made friends with his wife and those men um we had babies at the same time and so they he was he had just finished he you know, had kids the entire time that he provided some really great perspective on you know the fact that uh, kids will just build that balance that you actually need in your life into your study routines and, and your your time when you're in school and it was really reassuring to sort of, you know, know that they had been through that and 
um, to see sort of these, and he also made this point of like having these, not only some like focus time every night, but having these like 10 day trips, you know, away from school and actually like in the wilderness away from everything to spend time with his kids and also reconnect like with nature and, uh, yeah, his perspective was, was really helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds incredible. Uh, what a cool dude. <laughs> what great advice to get just prior to this crucible that you're entering, which is anesthesia school. Uh, well, Jen, I want to ask you, as we kind of round the corner towards wrapping up here, what are things that you do in terms of self-care or you know, things for you to stay balanced and motivated through this process? Right. Well, I mean, building exercise into, you know, your life, it sometimes can be hard with kids, but, you know, I run on a regular basis. And so I make sure the kids have, you know, their bikes are really accessible and I get them out. They ride their bikes with me when I run because a lot of times I don't have childcare and Rob's at home. So um, I sort of incorporated them into my workout routine. Bergen will sometimes do like, you know, hit workouts with me, you know, jumping and push-ups and stuff. And uh, getting enough sleep, you know, so that I can be friendly uh, is important. And then also just pacing myself, you know. Um, throughout the day, I know there's like only a certain amount of like energy I can give my kids. So I do sometimes just like, you know, chill out and not respond to like every, you know, not entertaining them at all times just because I wouldn't be capable of that. So, yeah. um, I let them get bored and, um, I let them fight a little bit and, you know, like I just sort of know, you know, from the experience of the last year, just, um, how much energy I have to put towards that. And so I try and, you know, pace myself and be, um, you know, I've had to learn to be like, I mean, a lot of us, everybody through the pandemic has had to, you know, right, give right. themselves some grace. But I think the same thing goes along with, um, with being a partner in anesthesia school is, yeah, just knowing that, yeah, life is a little unbalanced now and you'd like to be this perfect parent, but you're just going to do your best. Yeah. I mean, giving yourself the, the grace to be unbalanced for a little bit, you know, learning to be comfortable being uncomfortable, I think is, is important during this time, really anytime, which goes, which goes back to, yeah, you're, you're all, I I love, uh, your attitude about like, yeah, we're a little come from like dirtbag roots and everything's an adventure. I was thinking about that, you know, when you're thinking of, you know, having, having friends over for dinner and like, there's nothing on the walls and it's like a college dorm room. And I mean, it's part of the adventure, right. And, and it's, it's also part of, you know, just giving yourself, um, kind of that space of, uh, of energy and attention and, and knowing when you need to take a step back and just let the chaos unfold in front of you <laughs> and, and know that it's, right. know that it's yeah. suboptimal, but it's temporary. Right. Yeah. You're so reframing it. Like, you know, this is, this is where we are right now and, and we're just, we're going to be happy with that. And it might be different in the future. Yeah. Yeah. It will totally be different in the future and better. Um, well, what advice kind of in closing would you both give to 
specifically, you know, I, you can take it either way, the, the significant others or those who are in anesthesia school, you know, from either of your perspectives. Jim, maybe you have um, advice for people who are in anesthesia school to say, hey, it's really helpful when Rob does this, or if you want, you know, e- either one of you can speak to either role, uh, but what advice would you have for other couples and other parents as they look at going to anesthesia school? Well, I mean, communication is key. You know, whenever things become more stressful, you know, talking about it is really important. And I would say that I I was not fully aware, you know, the degree that Rob would be like physically, emotionally, and mentally absent. Right, right. You know, I, I mean, it was, it was more than I uh, sort of anticipated. And, um, you know, my advice there, you know, make some of your own friends to sort of fill in those, those gaps is important. You know, building that support system outside of your partner, you know, and investing in yourself and your relationship with your kids. If you have kids and, you know, I, my role is not necessarily like support Rob, but like to support myself enough to be healthy and support the kids where he is absent. And, you know, his job right now is to like, to learn and to practice anesthesia and to become really good. And then, you know, to participate in the family as much as you can. But yeah, we have like a, a sort of like unbalanced um, situation at the moment. And yeah. yeah, I would say making some of your own friends or hobbies or, you know, like filling in that time that you used to spend with your spouse is pretty important because it feels a little lonely for sure um, before you figure out what to fill up that, that time with. Yeah. Rob won't even watch Netflix with me. Like you were saying, like that there are just not enough hours that Netflix is, does not play into his priority system. And I look forward to, you have like 20 um, things I want to watch with him when he's done. With uh, you've been keeping a list. <laughs> right. That's awesome. Well, Jen, I would also say, I would echo, you. I didn't tag on there earlier when you were talking about it, but an exercise routine. And, and Rob, I, I don't know what that's been like for you, but for my wife and I, we met in anesthesia school. And as we got to know each other, we realized how important regular exercise, and you'll be very proud of us, Jen, really good nutrition was in anesthesia school. And I have said it over and over and you know, on the podcast and in different articles I've written and when I talk at conferences is that I feel like anesthesia school is kind of like training for a big role or an, like in, like in a, I always think about like Hollywood actors or actresses, you know, or, or an athletic endeavor that, you know, you're going to perform at your best mentally, physically, emotionally, if all of those systems are running on top gear. That's awesome. No, that's, that's so great to hear. And I, I mean, that's, those are, core values for us for sure and yeah i'd like to take credit for anything robert's doing right because i'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm making lots of delicious food and living here in portland all the fish i feel like it's great grain food you know um yeah no i think um that is that is something that i think robert as a parent so that 30 to 60 minutes that we're spending on exercise he has not been able to exercise yeah, as yeah. much as as we used to. And I would love, you know, we do go on like family runs a lot and we try to incorporate, you know, exercise into any weekend activities we do, but yeah, it's been really hard for it to be a regular thing. I think when he was here, you were 
lifting with some of your classmates when you're actually at school on campus. But once you're in clinical, yeah, it, 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 I think like a 15 minute hit video. I mean, it's, it's partially that he is, he is tired a lot. Oh, it's exhausting. Um, and I'm sure, Rob, when you're facing, I've got a 30 minute window do I want to go on a run or do I want to hang out with my 10 year old and six year old? Like that's an easy decision. You're probably going to want to hang out with your kids. Yeah. I mean, on the exercise note for Jenny and I, that's always been like a core part of our lives. Yeah. I don't know. We actually met Rob with my climbing guide on that right here. And Uh our first official, yeah. Our first official date, we climbed the devil's tower. We met in South Dakota and climbed, the devil's tower together nice not a bad first date yeah, so, at all right yeah so uh we've always exercised it's been like a part of our bonding activity and so I've, I've missed that too um trying to get rob out to exercise you know and he's like no you, you know like this, this would be a great time when you guys are out of the house for me to really focus and you know it's been yeah hard yeah, well, yeah. nice, nice job, Rob, on that Rainier trip. Seems to have paid off. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, a couple, two things come to mind. One is that that, um, especially at the currently, uh, and and as Jenny and I talked this through tonight uh, on the podcast with you, we're definitely having not two completely different, but two different experiences through all of this, yeah. and and that that's something that maybe doesn't always like come to mind, but uh, especially as, as like a couple going, if one of you is going into anesthesia school and the other one's not, like you're, you're going to be on divergent paths to a certain extent. And, um, and so just remembering to like try and meet each other in the middle uh, when you can. And an example being that, you know, at the beginning of the program during the didactic portion, I was able to exercise, I, like, I, and I had some classmates that I was exercising with, and that sort of helped build that into the routine. Um, plus, it was before the pandemic, so the gym was open on campus, and we could just sort of pop in and, you know, spend 30 minutes to an hour there. And so that, that felt good. And, and at this point, I don't have that time anymore. It's not built in. It's certainly not built in on a clinical day. There's just not time for me. I mean... Yeah, sometimes when I'm leaving the hospital, I'm like, God, I can't. I just love to go for a run right now. I kind of burn the stress off. Uh, but yeah, that does not happen. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, maybe there's some time one day a week, you know, on a weekend day uh, where there's time enough for a run um, or to get some exercise. And and I guess what I, the the advice I would give on that, at least from my perspective, it's a little, school is a little bit like, and people make this analogy, I think all the time, it's like, like running a marathon or um, in my experience, you know, climbing a really big mountain. It's not something that you do on the first day and it's going to take time and there's going to be phases to it as well. And, and it's in this particular phase, exercise is not, it just doesn't, yeah, it just doesn't make the cut. Um, as much as I would like it to. And then that kind of segues into your question about what are our expectations after anesthesia school. And, and to be perfectly honest, I, I don't know that we've really discussed that yet. We're still just day to day at the moment. Um, I have started, you know, thinking about employment at the end of the program. Um, and, 
you know, yeah, where what's the setting that we want to be working in? What kind of, or do I want to be working in? Where are we going to apply? Are we willing to move? Do we want to stay here? You know, all these questions, and uh, and a lot of it's still kind of unknown. But and and I guess we'll we'll sort of hash that out as it gets closer, as far as the details go. But um, I am hoping that there'll be some return <laughs> to life as it was before school for us, you know, our Jenny and I's routine and uh, just more time. Um, and it doesn't have to be focused on things that don't involve my family. I, I think you're going to, you're going to find it, man. Uh, it's going to be such a release after you pass boards. It's just such an incredible feeling of, there's no responsibilities to do. Like, I don't have to write a paper. I don't, no one's, I mean, I, like, I still have nightmares sometimes where, like, I will, the, like, my reoccurring nightmare is it is late into a semester of some sort of college, graduate school, undergrad, I don't, I don't know. It's blurry. And I've, like, I haven't studied for the final exam. I didn't write the paper, the project that for the due for the semester. I've done no work on and it's due. And I like wake up and I go, oh, oh, huh. oh, yeah, I'm not in graduate school. <laughs> Just like, uh, like it's it's an incredibly stressful period of time. I mean, that you know, and, and other SRNAs have talked about like the the PTSD element of just like the stress. And, and, and I know that you all have experienced that as a family and part of it when you're in it is not wanting sometimes I think to acknowledge just how stressful or how terrible it can be. Cause in some ways like that doesn't help, you know, you just have to be like the kids and take it, take it in the present, be present in the moment. Um, but if you, if you're wondering if it gets better, it gets better. If you're wondering if you're going to have more time, you're going to have more time. Um, it's yeah. it's it's going to be worth it. I don't think I've yeah. I've really ever met anybody on the other side who doesn't feel like I mean I mean there's some exceptional cases but I would say, you know, over 99% of people who go through this experience feel really grateful that they that they did and it's a crucible and hopefully as you all have beautifully framed it, you can frame it as an adventure and a process that you go through. Uh but yeah, it's going to get way better on the other side just to like offset the stressful parts of school. And because I feel like we've hammered that home. Um, <laughs> it, I mean, every day in clinical, uh, it is an amazing experience and it maybe sounds a little corny, but the magic that happens in the operating room in the sense of like you know, what goes on and being a part of that, um, definitely makes a lot of the rest of this stuff worth it too. Um, it's, it's an amazing, I mean, the, the stress that I take on is, you know, it's a lot of, it's just, I want to do the best job possible. I want to be prepared for, you know, my patients so that, you know, if something goes wrong that I'll have, you know, I'll be, I'll be able to respond in a meaningful and helpful way. Um, and so, you know, yeah. And, and, and if you didn't feel that stress, well then, yeah, maybe, maybe anesthesia is not the right, right. You know, role. Like some of that's just like self-induced, right? Like I'm doing that to myself, but it, but it needs to happen. And, um, and that reward of being able to walk into an OR, bring a patient back, put them to sleep and, you know, 
allow a procedure to proceed and then wake them up on the other end and they're smiling at you uh, is it's pretty amazing. So it, it even on a daily basis, it's, it's worth it. Um, that's not necessarily what the podcast is about. But. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think that it's all intertwined, you know, it goes back to what Jen was saying that, you know, you're, you're someone and she has seen this and believe this about people who go into anesthesia you know, those types of people need like a, a low grade stress in their lives. Like it's part of what you do. I can see a similar vein of, you know, whether it's the adrenaline or the risk or the level of expertise that it demands, but it's, it's a similar vein of being a mountaineering guide. Um, you know, a good trip, everything goes super smooth and there's nothing that goes wrong. And, you know, or, or you frame little aberrancies as like, Hey, yeah, we're out here in this, you know, wow, crazy storm that blew through, but Hey, look, we're all safe. But you know, in the back of your mind, that shit could hit the fan any moment. It could go South in a crazy way and you're prepared for that right which is what makes you a good guide but anesthesia school is anesthesia work is a similar vein in that like a great trip through the operating room everything goes super smooth but you're kind of always on edge you always have that little low grade stress but that's part of the stoke of what we do is that things could go wrong and yeah you put the time into training so that you can uh, meet that challenge with the appropriate skill set and attitude and knowledge base when things arise. Um, so yeah, it's an incredible thing. And the fun part of it is that it just gets so much better after anesthesia school. You get you start getting paid for it, which is amazing. And your time and your stress level just get, you get better at it. So it's less stressful. It's less draining when you come home. And there's just, I mean, there's not the time constraints, you know, you're not writing papers, you're not studying for exams, you're not having to prove yourself in those ways on a daily basis. And so you can take all of that additional energy and time and come back to a family and invest it there or, or whatever your outlets are, you know, for those, um, who may not have families, but, um, well, anything else that y'all, either one of you want to say before we sound off on this podcast? I've, I've totally enjoyed um, chatting with you. I'm so appreciative of your story. Yeah, no, this has been so fun. Uh, so fun for us to talk about these things because we, we haven't really ever gone here, you know, like, yes, like almost like counseling, John. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. <laughs> well, um, let, let, but no, but go ahead. Go, finish your thought. I want to ask you one more um, question. Well, I also want to say, I just want to thank you because Rob is, he's really happy at Maine Medical. Like he's, you know, has some experiences elsewhere and is like day to day, you know, he comes home and I mean, and particularly just his, you know, relationship with you is really just a positive force for him. Um, so I just want to thank you for the support. It seems like you're oh. supportive of all the students in the program. And, um, and so, yeah, well, th great. Th and you're, Thank you. Thank you. That's very kind of you to say. I appreciate that. It's been, it's been fun. It's been really fun getting to know Rob. I feel like we haven't had, I mean, it's, it's COVID it's anesthesia school. You got a family. We got to hang out at some point. <laughs> right. I know. I feel like I know. I, I, I saw a funny picture. I don't know where I saw this, but you had like a big beard, but I think it was a fake beard. Um, I don't know. Is it it could have been real. Is your beard that big? It could have been real, Jen. We've never met. <laughs> it could be that gray too I could actually be an old man that's so awesome yeah you're gonna find out stay tuned that's the that's the fun of doing a podcast you don't really know 
Right? Hey, uh, I, I, the other thing, I was, go, go for it. <laughs> I was going to tell you, I actually had an anest- a dream about anesthesia last night. Robert had told me about a case that sort of didn't go exactly the way he wanted it to. And I had this dream that I was in the case helping Rob with it. And it went perfectly. Oh, my goodness. The way I, and I have no idea like what it actually looks like. But somehow I like guided Rob by place. Um, you know, uh, intubated a very young child successfully while Rob watched me. <laughs> wow! <laughs> right? That's some. That is some metaphysical, trippy stuff, right there, Jen. <laughs> and I was like, very like. I mean, I felt like I don't know what it actually would look like, but it was very um, vivid and real. So, I don't know. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, not to get too crazy about it, but like, how how amazing is it that you do help Rob, right? Like, it, which is which is probably the perfect bookend to this conversation that the family support that significant others provide those who are in anesthesia school. I mean, you you do you do help him perform at his top, you know, to be able to have the space, to have the time, to have the energy, to know that his kids are well taken care of in, in so many ways. And not, and not, not just those things, but the, um, you know, you talked about how there's uh, not the same level of emotional connectivity and, and mutual support for one another as pre anesthesia school uh, there may have been, but, Undoubtedly, I mean, he comes home and shares cases with you, and and for you to have a dream like that, I think that's just so interesting. That's fascinating. Thank you. Yeah. For, what a great story. I mean, yeah, but we're, we're closer in in some ways. You know, um, the ways that sort of stress will make you closer. Like we're um, we're teammates uh, in this sort of new sport. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, so we have a bond that is. Um, stronger and different than it was. Well, we're already talking about it, but that, that was the final question I wanted to ask you was how have the two of you connected? Uh, speaking of counseling, <laughs> how has it been to, to find that time? Cause I mean, you don't, you don't suspend your marriage. You don't suspend your relationship when you go to anesthesia school, you still want that. You still want to have time for that. So how has that been? It admits the chaos of, of COVID and, and raising children. And so how, how have you all um, carved out time for yourselves for that to be meaningful? I mean, you know, it's, it's funny. Like sometimes the only time we have is like when I finally go to bed at night, he's been in bed for two hours, you know, and we like hold hands in bed and it's a very like sweet moment. You know, we're too tired for anything else. And we just like hold hands and like <laughs> we're awake together for three minutes, you know, and that's really just like a very like, sweet sort of like, you know, wakes up for just a second when I go to bed. And that's the only time we really have, and it's just the two of us that we're conscious. Um, and uh, I don't know if that's like sort of podcast material, but. That's, um, that's podcast gold. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, yeah, it's, obviously it's a shared goal. And so, um, yeah, it's it's been it's been, it feels like we're working towards something, and and of course, um, it's all been fun and new. And sometimes in life, like you know, if you're you've been a nurse for a while, or you know, you've been doing a job that maybe you're not totally satisfied by, just moving forward feels good, even if it's hard. Yeah. So yeah, oh, that's such yeah. a great line. 
yeah, we, I mean, again, like I, I have to be like intentional about like making some time for Jenny and for the two of us, um, to do things together. We, I mean, the, the family exercise, you know, once a week, that's sort of, that, that's usually a time when Jenny and I can talk about some stuff. Um, dinner time, Jenny's like asked if I like try and be present when we're making food. Um, cause that's like a time where like she and I can talk and like, I, I have to fight the urge to be like, okay, you know, divide and conquer. You're doing the cooking. I'm going to go study. Okay. I'm going to yeah. do the bedtime. You're going to do, you know, like, and always being in different places, doing different things in order to try and be as efficient as possible. Um, there just, there has to be time where like, just put that stuff aside. Like, okay. We're going to like, It goes back to what you said, being, you know, communication being so important and that that you have to be explicit to say, I need this from you right now. Yeah. And, and to know, like, sometimes I'll be like, Brady needs you to go back in there and like, give him a hug. You know, he doesn't need tough love right now. He needs a hug from you right now. Um, you know, I, I like feel like I, I know the kids a little more than Rob right now, which is really strange to say, but just I've spent a lot more time with them. And of course, um, and so sometimes, you know, I'll help Rob know what he needs to do with them. <laughs> and, and I have to remember to listen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I think all of that is so good, y'all. I. I know that your time is incredibly precious and this is probably one of the longer conversations I've had with folks in the podcast, but I I think so much of it will be valuable for other people who are either in this experience or who are getting ready for this experience. So I just want to say thank you so much to both of you for taking some time out of your Saturday evening to sit down with me and chat about this stuff. I think you have a beautiful family. I think you're on an incredible path. I think the payoff is going to be what you hope it will be. It will be um, incredible and worth it in so many ways for you. And it, and it's not about the payoff anyway, right? It's about the journey. And you all have laid that out in such a beautiful way um, in chatting with you that you're having fun. You're taking the stress in stride. Um, your kids are on an adventure with you. Um, you're learning from your kids, you know, to be in the present, in the moment. So thank you so much for sharing your story. It's been so much fun to chat with both of you. It's so fun, John. Thank you. You definitely have a, a third career, a second career in marriage counseling if you're interested. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell my wife that. Yes. See if that passes the, the blush test on her end. <laughs> yeah, thanks again. It was super fun. Hey, hey, John, one last thing, just because um, this story isn't, isn't totally complete. I don't mention a certain someone um, who helped me get into anesthesia school. Okay. Uh, so this is kind of, yeah, this is kind of a cool story. So, so Jenny. Um, Sorry, John, Rob, yeah. Rob always has to 
talk a little longer than he said. <laughs> that's why, that's why Jenny, we probably get along so well. Jenny found out that she has, um, has a half-sister, like, kind of like right about the time we moved back to Kalispell from Washington, D.C. And I started working in the ICU there. Uh, there's only one hospital in Kalispell, so there's only one ICU. And um, so Jenny makes friends on Facebook with this half-sister she's never met. And wow. my mom had a baby when she was 15 and put it up for adoption. Oh, my so gosh. She never met baby. Yeah, she closed adoption. Um, and she contacted us, you know, recently. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So, so she has a son and and a daughter-in-law who are both nurses. And we we learn all this through Facebook. They happen to work in Kalispell. Um, Even though she's hundreds of miles from where my mom, you know, was from. And they just, ha- and the son just happens to work in the ICU. And so I was like, oh, really? Who's that? So Jenny showed me a picture of him and I totally recognized him right away. And the next day I'm at work, he and I are like shooting, looks at like sideways glances at each other. And then finally we kind of are like confront each other, like, I think you're my nephew. And he says, I think you're my uncle. <laughs> and, and so Andrew Blair, um, he, he worked in the IC with me for a couple of years and we both applied to anesthesia school at the exact same time. And uh, he's in a program at the university of North Dakota um, right now with his wife and, um, and he's in a master's program, so he'll graduate. PhD program. Or sorry, yeah, doctorate program. So he'll he'll graduate a little after us. But um, anyway, we we but, still but stay in close contact. What do you about the podcast? Yeah, exactly. And Andrew is your biggest fan, and so I, if I on your podcast and I didn't mention him, he would kill me. Oh, uh, Andrew Boyer. <laughs> so so he's he's your nephew. <laughs> Well, he's he's my nephew because he's my sister's son. Whoa. And you all. Whoa. Wow. Andrew Boyer on the same path to getting his uh, doctorate in anesthesia. That is awesome. Well, yeah. Yeah. Rob, that's a story you got to tell, man. That's staying in the podcast. Yeah. So. So applying, applying to anesthesia school would not have happened if I didn't have a friend, you know, a, a cohort who was also, you know, going through the interview process, going through the application process. I mean, we'd get to work and be like, oh, okay, so like, have you sent in your stuff? Have you typed up your essay? You know, we, we found someone to shadow. Um, you know, it, it was, it really was, I don't, I don't know if I could have gotten all of that done without someone else going through it with me at the same time. And and even though he's your friend and colleague, he's also like your nephew and you're his kind of uncle. <laughs> he he called he called Rob and the whole unit, um <laughs> I see you know, Rob they all call him Uncle Bob. Oh, I had an Uncle Bob. I had an Uncle Bob that lived in Florida. Right? Like your classic, like Uncle Bob from Florida. That's your name now, dude. Totally. I don't know if you I mean we <laughs> talked about what are we gonna call you ahead of the podcast, but your Uncle Bob from now on. <laughs> Uh, that's awesome well Jen and Uncle Bob this has been so amazing thank you so much for sharing your stories tonight it's been incredible thank you John enjoy your new truck and your new home oh yeah thank you so much alright hey we'll talk soon alright take care